I think that a lot of people do know some Aboriginal people that just don't realise it. You look at my mum, she's English. You look at my dad, he's Aboriginal. And look at me, I'm a bit in between. <laughs> I haven't got the flat nose anymore. I sometimes wish I did. You know, just because I'm Aboriginal doesn't mean I have a flag tattooed to my forehead. Like most of them call me Auntie Lynn, and I'm happy to be their auntie, even though that I'm not. Because I am Aboriginal because of my DNA, not because of my lingo. I am Aboriginal because of my DNA, not because of my lingo. Meet the Mob, a podcast from 1233 ABC Newcastle with Jill Emerson. Subscribe at abc.net.au slash Newcastle. For Meet the Mob this morning on 1233, I'm sitting outside in the Wallatooka Institute at the University of Newcastle with Peter Rodol. God, it's nice out here. You chose to come here, Peter, to work. Was it for the scenery? Uh, primarily for the scenery, that's exactly right. It's beautiful here. And uh, it might have something to do with the university's passion and conviction for uh, in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander higher education as well. Where did you go to school? Most of my primary school was in Western Sydney, around Mount Druitt, Seven Hills, St Mary's, Colleton. Uh, my first high school was actually Colleton High School in uh, Western Sydney, in Colleton. And then I went to Tamworth High for a little while, and then I finished close to two years at Oxley High, which is in Tamworth as well. So I... I I think it's about. I think altogether, I probably had about seven or eight schools, in uh, and I finished in year ten. So it was, a, it was, you know, you never really got to know anyone too very well. So it's just the nature of life at that time for my family. You moved around a lot. Uh, quite a bit, actually, and I think that's not uncommon for Aboriginal families. Reflecting, I'm mean, not really sure because I haven't spoken a great deal to my family about that. But I assume that some of it's about. You know, the cultural aspects, some of the issues, I suppose, associated with the uh, living in a particular community and probably economic opportunities. You said you went to Year 10, but here you are, a, an academic, a professor, a director at the Wallatooka Institute. From Year 10 to that, that's one hell of a leap. Yeah, that's true. But my story is not uncommon for Aboriginal leaders in the, high, in the higher education space. There's plenty of us who have been uh, tradesmen or tradespeople that have come through to become full professors. And, and my role here is... Um, Dean of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Education and Research and as well as the Director of the Academic and Research of the Wallatooka Institute. Um, not uncommon. Uh, how did it happen? Uh, all very accidental, really, in many ways. Were you a tradie? Yes, I spent 11 years uh, working on Holdens, Saabs, Hyundais, uh, and I have fond memories of that. And today, to this very day, um, family, friends uh, ask me can I, for advice on their motor cars and how to repair them. I can't do it under warranty because you avoid your warranty, but I do do all my own servicing and sprockets and chains and stuff on my motorcycle. So you were a mechanic? Yes, spent 11 years as a mechanic. Did you love it? Absolutely. The good thing about it was that you could, you know, you're practical. <laughs> you're just practical. Um, I think it's just the satisfaction of actually pulling something to pieces, putting it back together, and then seeing it go out the door. You don't do that in academia. <laughs> Peter Rudol on Meet the Mob on 12.33, ABC Newcastle. Peter, can you tell me about your Aboriginal heritage? My mum's Aboriginal, my grandfather's Aboriginal. Uh, my mum's uh, surname, uh, maiden name is Lowe. My grandfather is Lowe, Norman Lowe, and his mother was Vera Knox. Now, she was born um, up around Glen Annis area. That's where, that's where most of our family comes from. That's where our mob comes from, Anawan community, Anawan nation. Grandma, as we affectionately knew her, she was uh, just amazing. She lived to a ripe old, ripe old age, so I remember her quite fondly. She was actually a part of a, uh, a research project in the New England area some years back now 
gentleman by the name of Barry MacDonald, who I've become really good friends with, uh, did his PhD on the Aboriginal influence of the folk music in the North, in New England area. And she used to play the uh, concertina. And um, so Barry and I become really good friends. So just before I started here at Wallatooka, I decided to go on a solo journey, if you, as, as you do on a motorcycle. And uh, I was very lucky because Barry actually played my great-grandmother's uh, concertina one night and I just recorded that. It was just an amazingly spiritual time to actually think there you know, because she was... Barry became so good, such good friends with the family that he gifted the concertina to Barry and Barry said he'll probably pass it on to a family member when it's time. But at the moment, it was a very personal gift to Barry for the work that he'd done with them. So. That's a beautiful piece of history that you've been able to connect with in your adult life. Given that you have a mixed background, how have you, as a, a boy and a man, married the two? Yeah, it's interesting because I think Aboriginal identity has become more of an issue today than it's ever been before. And, uh, and I think there's good reasons for that. Uh, look, I've been able to manage very well. I mean, you know, people I've always identified, and, you know, on, on the front of my yearbook, um, 1984, in front of my year 10 yearbook as I passed it around the classroom. When I got back, uh, you know, there was a message on that front that said, see you, Coon. And, uh, and I thought, oh, well, fair enough, you know, because some people called me this, right, as, as part of, you know, I was strongly identified as, as Aboriginal. And so I wear that as a badge of honour these days. And, uh, but what I didn't realise is that um, I just met up with some colleague from the United Kingdom recently who were just having a discussion over dinner. He said, well, that term was used for anybody who wasn't British. <laughs> so the British, so any of the colonial sort of, you know, any of the, you know, the mob and the, you know, that were colonised, the, the exact, you know, yeah, whether they were Aboriginal or Pakistani or wherever they might have been, they were all called the same, that, that term. So I, that was news to me. Hadn't heard that. I always thought Coon was Aboriginal. And that's what, I, that's what I had thought as well. But I don't know if that's true. It'd be interesting to find out. But I, just, I only learned that a couple of weeks ago. Something to discover, that's for sure. Peter, you now work in an Aboriginal educational institution at a very senior level. So let me go from the mechanic, uh, Peter Adol, to the guy with the big corner office here at the Wallatooka Institute at the University of Newcastle. <laughs> Briefly, that journey. Yeah, look, it's been a really amazing journey, actually. You know, you always, uh, you know, have some issues associated with your with your youth, if you like. And uh, and I was married quite young. Um, I had one child, uh, Christopher, um, and then uh, his mother and I split. And then I met uh, up with another amazing person, uh, Jenny, who's just been a champion for me. And I met her in Tari, actually, because I'd been in Tamworth for a while, and I moved to Tari after my first relationship split and I actually we were just neighbours and we just sort of used to have a cup of coffee and chat and one thing led to another and uh, and then we become really become really good mates and then obviously then she fell pregnant with Nicholas and then uh, I was happily being a motor mechanic at that time I was doing a, a radio program with uh, Uncle Ray Hurst and um, and I'd become treasurer of the Aboriginal Gilroy Aboriginal Media Service at that time uh, Uncle Ray and I did a couple of programs together and we just I had a great time. It was actually almost like a utopia. And then Arnie Patton and Uncle Ray said that, you know, to use their terms, oh, you're too good to be a motor mechanic. We want to send you to university. And I wasn't convinced about this at all, actually. Absolutely not convinced at all. Because um, I'd spent all my time as a motor mechanic. I couldn't see myself going to university. So much so that they actually, they actually wrote to the government and got the application form for me, filled it out. All I had to do was sign it and get another reference. And, uh, and really, and they sent me on the journey. Now, you know, they started the journey, there's no doubt about that. But Jen, particularly Jen and my children, uh, my other five children, and Christopher as well, 
just really supported me through that. So I worked. At, I had an opportunity to work at IATSIS, the Institute of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Studies, or work at Medicare um, with my undergraduate degree and a cadetship. So I chose IATSIS because I thought that would give me a great grounding and I thought an Aboriginal organisation. I went and worked for um, the Department of Immigration and Indigenous Affairs for a little while. Um, I found that really challenging, actually. At that time, as he's always doing more than just one thing, at that time I was the president of the National Indigenous Postgraduate Association, Aboriginal Corporation. And I actually got a couple of new letters in the newspaper in the Australian that were sort of criticising the changes to the um, AB study at that time. It's, you know, 1996 and 2001 were major changes to AB study. And anyway, so to cut a long story short, the department uh, secretary and I uh, got to meet. I, wasn't, I didn't realise that the department actually cross-references all the authors and people in those newspapers uh, with their department list because it's a sensitive portfolio. So we got to meet the uh, secretary and he said um, I should consider, consider my position. So I rang up my lovely wife, Jenny, and, uh, and I said to her, look, I'm really upset about this. And she said, well, why don't you quit? And I said, all right. So I went upstairs and I gave my resignation. And Jen said, well, I didn't mean straight away because we've got no job. Because Jen hasn't worked, you know. She's been a stay-at-home mum forever. And so we think, oh, dear, what are we going to do now? So I went back to university and did a master's degree. And I was really lucky because we were, we were quite poor at that time, very, very poor. Um, so Ab Study covered, you know, paid for my wage to go, you know, it's about $16,000. When you've got three or four kids, sixteen grand's not a lot of money. That's not a lot of money <laughs> at all. <laughs> it would have made the job as a mechanic look uh, attractive, but here you were diving deeply into further academia with not necessarily anything at the end of it. And that's, that's very true. I wasn't sure what was going to happen. So I, I assumed that I would go get a master's degree and go to work in the, an organisation again. I had no idea. And then my partner, Jenny, um, she is the one that said, look, right at the end of the master's degree, she said, look, why don't you, here's a person that you might want to go talk to about a PhD. Now, I had no idea what a PhD was at that time, but neither did Jen, actually. So I went and saw this, this Professor Shirley Greger, Professor Shirley Greger at AIN, Australian National University at ANU, and Shirley said, look, if you, this is great opportunity for us because you've got industry experience, you've got a master's degree, come and do a PhD with us, but we want you to do a job as well, to work. I, at that time, I thought you had to be an academic to do a PhD. I was so naive. You know, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, so I started as an, an academic um, um, at, at ANU, I was there for about five years, and then the I got to know, you know, because I've, you know, I strongly identify. So everyone across the institution knew of my uh, background and my Aboriginality and, the, and then my passion about the community. And then I uh, transitioned. Um, they put up a position, the the director of the Jarbal Centre at the ANU, um, and I was chosen to actually take that role. I was there for five and a half years. I moved to the University of Canberra for a couple of years. Um, and, Worked on a lot of boards. I was on the board of uh, the board of education uh, at the Arana Centre, um, which is the uh, Canberra Institute of Technology's uh, Indigenous Centre for many years, and actually on the board at the CI Canberra Institute of Technology as a board member as well. Um, and then I got the phone call. Would you mind? thinking about applying for this role so uh, and the rest is history. That's the road that led you to Newcastle to make a, a new place for yourself True. here in a role as a professor and a director of a big institute at a university. It's almost like a serendipitous journey. It's not a journey with a deep plan really is it? Gee Jill, um, it's exactly right. <laughs> but I don't don't worry, I'm not a big planner. I'm all for it. It's interesting, isn't it, that life can take you on such That's a true. such a journey. No, that is very true, and I've, I feel incredibly lucky. I've never had a set path. There's, there's been one passion uh, that I've had the whole time is that 
just look after the Aboriginal community and everything will take care of itself. And, you know, my wife will tell you, Jenna will tell you, that I'm not ambitious. I just want to look after the community. And somehow um, I've always been recommended for jobs. People have come and knocked on my door. And to be quite frank, when, I, when, this, when, when this job first came up, you know, I had about the fourth or fifth phone call before I actually said, OK, we'll meet. Um, but I'm not, I've never been ambitious. It's just everyone's sort of push, push, push. We want you to take this. We want you to have this opportunity. We often think that people are really gunning for those big jobs, but it's not always the case, is it? Uh, actually, you know, in my... I mean, I actually thought that as well, actually. And a lot of people think, oh, you know, he's ambitious because he's... Not that there's anything wrong with that. No, oh, look, and ambition's important in some respects. Because once you... If you have a passion for something, it all happens, all naturally. And it I, leads you, it pulls you. That's exactly right. But not only does it pull you, but others, others push you. Others go, well, he's got a passion for that. He'd be a great person for that role. The digital divide is your academic forte. Uh, do you think we can make changes in the digital divide, Aboriginal, non-Aboriginal people, in your lifetime? Yeah, I think there's lots of things that are happening. And I think you know, my passion is about looking at those who don't use information technology and see how if we can actually get them to engage. Because my view is that information technology is a great leveller. Once a digital footprint, doesn't matter if you're the CEO of a big organisation or prime minister, um, it doesn't really matter. And I'll give you a couple of examples of that. A couple of years ago, there was um, some T-shirts that, uh, that some of the stores were selling, it said established in 1788 on Australia Day. There was a very small number, about six or seven Aboriginal uh, people, and they're quite influential, uh, Aboriginal people on Twitter who actually started accessing the digital technologies to say, look, guys, this is not acceptable. And then a whole heap of non-Indigenous people got on board and said, yeah, this is not acceptable. Australia was here before 1788. And as a, as a consequence, they withdrew. Not that company withdrew, but all the other companies withdrew all their 1788 um, material. So that's really, really exciting. For me, that's, that's empowerment. That's Aboriginal empowerment. So if you look at something like one of the alumnus of uh, the University of Newcastle here, uh, Luke Pearson, who actually created the, the world's second rotating Twitter handle. Indigenous X. The world's first Indigenous rotating Twitter handle. It is now a franchise where they've got Indigenous XCA. So now that's been franchised into Canada now, so Indigenous XCA. So what my point is is that if, if you have the right environment, whether you've got the access to the technology, the ability to use it, the skills, the competency, the pricing is right, and you, you know, once, you have, once you have the environment right, Aboriginal people are world leaders in digital technologies, digital content. We are world leaders. And there's something recently, I went to the United States, and I've never been to the United States before, but when I was sort of discussing about what we have here in the digital technologies, and these guys, you know, African-American guys and some Native American guys were just doing this research around stuff, and they said, well, you, you guys down there have the utopia we've been looking for. And I said, that's interesting, because often we look, at, we look externally thinking, you know, because we're, we're so far away from everywhere else, we may not be that good. You know what? We are, the indigenous digital technologies and innovation in Australia is world-leading. Peter Adol, I really was not aware of that, so I'm very glad that you left Cole Canberra to come here and take up the position at the Wallatooka Institute at the University of Newcastle. Thanks for being with me. I'll meet the mob. Thank you very much, Jill. Thanks so much. You've been listening to a 1233 ABC Newcastle podcast. For more, visit our website at abc.net.au slash newcastle.